This is an ABC podcast. In your own life, have you ever had a good breakup? I just remember feeling so angry. I broke up with my boyfriend over Skype when I was 18 in a lecture at uni. And then I broke into his house. It was a pretty bad way to do it, but I've grown. I have a very fight for what you love mentality. By the end, all I could think of was I need to get out of this and I can't wait for you not to be around me anymore. I would constantly text when drunk, which is now, in hindsight, incredibly pathetic. Divorce and breaking up can feel like the bloodiest, dirtiest combat you'll ever experience in your whole adult life. And almost everyone on the planet has been through one. In Australia, in 2018 alone, nearly 50,000 of us got divorced. To put that into context, in that same year, about 120,000 people got married. I want to make something clear before we get going. This episode is not focused on domestic violence or abusive relationships. We're talking about run-of-the-mill breakups, which are still devastating. People lose homes, amass great big debt, fall into addiction, use their kids as collateral, get depressed, or bottle up all their feelings and totally not cope. And some of that has to do with the fact that popular narratives tell us that that's the way love goes. When it ends, it's war or it didn't count. Rarely are we modelled the best-case scenario divorce. So what if there was a guide? What if you could break up better or, dare I say it, divorce well? What if the process didn't have to leave both parties wounded, devastated and financially ruined? I'm Yumi Steins. Ladies, we need to talk about how we can break up better. In 2008, I split up with my partner. We had kids and a house together and there was mediation, lawyers, child custody arrangements, and it sucked. There's a bunch of stuff I wish I knew then that I know now. So let's share it. A practical guide to breaking up well. In this episode, we're going to talk to a writer, a psychologist, and a lawyer who all have skin in the game when it comes to breakups and divorce. I think for a long time we just assumed that breakups were allowed to totally reign over your eating habits, your drinking habits, your sleeping habits, how you conducted yourself in terms of going completely loopy and, and just feeling like a breakup was a completely appropriate answer to that. This is Zoe Foster-Blake. She's an Australian author and entrepreneur. We're speaking to her because she's written a book called Breakup Boss. Zoe's married with a couple of kids. She's settled and happy. But during her early 20s, she reckons she was the authority on bad breakups. And in this Ladies We Need to Talk guide to better breakups, Zoe is going to start with a bit of what not to do. So I would go to his house in the middle of the night. I would drink dial constantly. I would stalk and be aggressive towards his new partner. Oh I would God. do... Yeah, it was cool. So <laughs> I, I did everything that you're not supposed to do. And um, weirdly, 
we didn't get back together. No, I think that's the other thing. It's like, consider your behaviour in that time. Is it really making you irresistible to this person <laughs> if you want to get back with them? But I, I think it was a good lesson in going what not to do. And so with each further breakup, I realised that that was embarrassing. And it wasn't a true encapsulation of my character, I didn't think. But I'd let my emotions and my fears and my panic and probably my hangovers get the better of me and I behaved in a way that I wasn't proud of. It's a real relief to hear you say that because we all do embarrassing things, I think, during a break. I don't want it to sound like I'm just saying, look, you have to have for outward appearances, control yourself for God's sake, women, conduct yourself in the proper way. It's not about that. It's about showing courage and strength at times that are really hard in your life and not just behaving irrationally or illegally just because you're angry at someone. Having been a bit of a breakup monster a few times in my life, I realised that there is a good and a bad way to do it. The really important one for me was the no contact because when you've got a clear inbox and a clear headspace and that mental real estate to process what's happening, even though it hurts so much, you can move forward. It's not so much even about the anger, but it's just that sadness and grieving can make us put our rose-tinted glasses on and just want to go backwards to feel safe again because we don't just miss the person. We miss the rituals, the routines, the Sunday night dinners at their house, the family, you know, everything that you lose when you lose a breakup. So you've got this massive gaping hole in Mm. your life now that you desperately want to fill again with what you love and know. So you just have to be strong in that time and no contact is is critical because if you keep trying to hang out with them or you don't want to be rude if they're trying to hang out with you, shut, no, don't do that. (laughs) For how long? I say 50 days, but it's mostly just to establish a, a routine and a habit. One bit of advice that you give is to delete your ex's social media. Delete the text, delete the emails, photos, unfollow them basically on everything. Yeah. But is yeah. that, the, is that isn't that the same as sort of deleting all your memories? Well, you retain the memories. And I do talk about, you know, having a box, printing it out. Keep the box. Like you've got to keep the box for the partner and that's a part of your life. And I'm not saying that part never existed, but just to in this moment when you're really aching, it's not helpful to have that in front of you. But what are you going to look at late on a Friday night? When- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know, watch some comedy instead. That's what I did. So I was surprised by what you said about closure because I thought closure was a sort of a thing that we should pursue, you know, as, as modern women. You just say this as a myth. I think it's a myth to get it from your ex. I think the idea of them providing closure is a myth. I think you can provide your own closure and that closure is going to be, you know, work within yourself to go, I accept that this relationship, uh, this chapter is over and I am grateful for it because I met this person, I had this these adventures and I had this time and I did this, this, this and I, I learned how to love and whatever it might have been. But I accept now that that chapter has closed and we're moving on. You have to fabricate that closure for it to exist. You have to actively set it in stone. But what if they've cheated on you or something, but they never yes. admitted it and, and you just want them to admit it for closure? But then what? Then yeah, you can okay. so set imagine fire to their clothes and yeah. <laughs> slash and their tyres. Yes. I think you can get like micro-closures from their behaviour and how they answer those questions, but you're never really going to get the question answered that you want because the question is not did you sleep with her. The question is why did you do such a treacherous act? I gave you my heart and my loyalty and my we were in a monogamous relationship and a contract and you fucked that. Why did you do that? How dare you? So it's never about the incident. It's about their choices and, and that they defied what your little 
deal was. Zoe, you describe breakups as both wonderful and a gift. <laughs> Horrible, aren't I? Which it, it, it's like, are you a hippie? What's going on? Disgusting. <laughs> when was a breakup a gift? Like, how can it's it be a gift? a gift? It's always a gift. It's always a gift because it presents you with an opportunity to be by yourself. And I have always maintained, me personally, I've done the most growing no offence to my husband and my beautiful family, but I've done the most personal growth when I've been by myself because you have that time to completely indulge it and they call it being positively selfish where you just get to do all the extra education you ever wanted to do. You know, take a night course, hang out with your friends, see your family more, visit your grandma, go on a trip. Historically, if you look at women when they've come out of a horrible breakup, particularly publicly, the woman blooms and she blossoms and she has the a better career and she does more things. She changes her hair. She becomes more independent, more confident. And there is a real opportunity for that because it's just you. But don't wait. It's not a waiting room. Being single is not a waiting room for a relationship. It's a chance to be really, really invested in yourself, your career, your life, your family, whatever it might be. And that's the gift. Okay, so the things we know after speaking with Zoe are, firstly, we will regret acting out our anger. We shouldn't contact our ex for 50 days, which I totally get is impossible if you've got kids, and we'll get to that later on in this episode. We should unfollow all their social media accounts. Closure from our ex mightn't exist. It has to come from us. And the extra time you get from being unpartnered is actually a gift. But seeing a breakup as a gift is... It's so hard, especially when you're dealing with all these awful and confusing emotions and you're sad and you're heartbroken but still a bit horny and it's lonely. And then there's the murky weirdness to navigate too, like my friend who bought her and her fella a couple of Nick Cave tickets and then they broke up and then the dickhead ex turned up at the concert and tried to sit next to her even though they weren't even speaking. So how do we do it? Can a breakup ever be good? As a psychologist, I'm definitely seeing more couples coming in wanting to break up well and you know, as a couples therapist, I suppose I'm seeing a lot of people wanting to come in because they want a better separation or a good divorce. This is Rachel Voisey. She's a psychologist who works almost exclusively with couples. Before we get Rachel's take on how to psychologically support yourself through a breakup, she says it's important to acknowledge that breakups are tough. From the outset, you have to kind of normalise to yourself that this is a major life change. You can't be too hard on yourself that this is going to be difficult at times. And also the thing with separations is it's not just you. So you could be absolutely ready to, and you've decided yourself that you're ready to go. But if the partner on the other side isn't so sure, you can only work with what you bring and what they bring, right? So I say to people to really sit down and work out who are going to be your support people because that can make the hugest difference. Right, okay, yeah. that's really clear-cut advice. Yeah. With separations, it's really important to think about that because I think you need to pick the people that are going to make you feel safe and secure and listen to. And sometimes when you're going through something difficult, being human, we process things that are difficult and traumatic by just blurting them out of our mouths. <laughs> so you just want to, you know, if you're having a bad day, you almost feel like you just got to say it to someone. And sometimes if you say it to the people that maybe 
don't have the right kind of support, it can come back to bite you and you end up not wanting to go out into the school playground because that mum's going to come up and say, how are you going today? And you're going to burst into tears. Or, you know, telling someone at work who maybe isn't your most trusted colleague might not be a great move. So can I just ask, from a psychological point of view, what tools are really important for breaking up well? If you can communicate well with a partner, you're more likely to have a better outcome emotionally as well as practically. I think if you can find someone, a mediator, a counsellor, a therapist, psychologist, whoever you can find that works for you to help you both communicate well, that's probably the number one tool you can have. From an individual perspective, I think it's just that thing of being really, really kind to yourself, doing the things you would do if you were trying to protect your mental health. So, you know, trying to save as much energy as you can for the change process you're in. So self-care is what I want to leave open. Oh, God, at no point in this conversation is she going to give good instructions on getting revenge, is she? Or how to have a cry wank. (laughs) But, yeah, sleep well, eat your veggies, exercise, don't drink too much. And Rachel says, while you're drinking your kale spirulina smoothies and namasteing the shit out of your chakra, don't forget to actually have some fun. If you can go out and just have a laugh and have a bit of sun on your back or something that makes you feel good, honestly, that recharges people and it just gives you a bit more resilience to get through the next crappy day if it is a crappy day. You know, it's really that kind of good stuff. Are there decisions that you can make about how you look at and treat the divorce to make it less painful? I think if you make that decision that don't judge the outcome by the process is the thing I have to say to a lot of people that are separating because the outcome can be incredible. I think that's a great thing that can make you feel good about a difficult situation, definitely. It does sound a little bit overly used lately, but if you can try and have compassion for the person that makes you angry, that also changes things mm-hmm. greatly. So if you've got a partner that isn't doing well in the process with you and you can try to have compassion for them instead of rage, that can help you come out of the divorce a lot better and feel a lot calmer day to day because once you get into that angry state of it's this combative thing, that takes a lot of energy out of you. So I think that's helpful. People can be really bad at dealing with negative feelings Mm -hmm. and heaps of those feelings come up during a breakup. Um, And I know I self-medicated with alcohol. Yes, as many people are. Yeah, others Mm -hmm. might take drugs or binge eat. Is part of breaking up like doing those things or is there a way to avoid that sort of self-destructive behaviour? So... Now, when couples come in to see me, I do kind of an assessment with them that looks at different things. And one of the really big things I look at in that assessment is how do you deal with negative emotions? Because there's kind of two schools on it. There's people that are brought up with this attitude that kind of says, roll with the punches, don't make a big deal about things that are bad, don't be a victim, suck it up, toughen up, you'll be right, keep going. Mm. And then there's other people that are brought up, and this mostly comes from upbringing, unfortunately, initially, you can change it later, but it does start there, where they kind of are taught that if there's a negative feeling, it's okay to look at it, it's okay to feel it, it's okay to name it, you can be sad for a day. or And then what that does is allow them some process around the feeling. So the people that kind of allow the emotion to be there and be a bit sad and go, yeah, I feel really crappy today, I'm really sad, I'm angry, I'm scared, they often turn less to the crutches that the other people who are stuffing the feelings down will go to because they'll be like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I can't eat those two glasses of wine. It's really well known that if you're having alcohol, a couple of drinks, six, seven nights a week, it increases your anxiety in the next day. And it's a depressant, so it makes you feel better short term, but the problem is it takes your resilience away longer term. So again, looking from a mental health perspective, this would be the best time if you could to try to avoid those things. But the reality is most people use them. When you're dealing with people in those traumatic breakups, you know, you do often say, go see your GP, you might need medication. This might be the time you might need some 
sleeping tablets or some kind of support. But in all honesty, the amount of people that come in and are drinking their way through a divorce but won't go and get a prescription medication is quite shocking at times because sometimes it actually comes to that where people need some kind of support because they haven't slept for three months and that is going to destroy your mental health. So... I think you've given me five good points on how to do a successful split. Mm. And correct me if I'm wrong. Yep. Rally your support crew and choose carefully. Yes, definitely. Self-care. Put that at the top of the list. With fun in it. (laughs) With fun. (laughs) Yeah. Deal with your emotions. Yeah. Deal with your... Even if the rest is amicable, don't think just because it's amicable and you're mediating well that you don't still have some difficult emotions and deal with them, yeah. Don't judge the outcome by the process. Definitely. I, I feel like a therapist saying that. Yeah, I know, isn't it? So, but it's, I, just, I keep thinking, is there a better way? I try to be very kind of just say it like it is therapist, but I'm like, I just can't think of a better way to say it. It's the only way I can think of it. Is there anything I've left out? No, I think that's it. I think if you can do those things, then yeah, I think you can come through a divorce and actually look back and go, that was a good divorce. If you do things like remove all the money from the bank account, I describe that, to be honest, as a bit of an act of war. Often those acts are done because people are scared. Often breakups and divorce involve lawyers like Clarissa Raymond. Breakups are her specialty. She's overseen more than 2,000 of them. Yes, I said 2,000. Clarissa isn't going to give us the legal nuts and bolts of breaking up because, firstly, they're drier than a dead man's earwax and, secondly, because everyone's situation is different. Shitty, yes, but shitty in unique ways that we can't cover here. What she is going to give us is a bunch of things you can do so your legal bill is like the size of a tiny cucumber or one of those miniature bananas you can feed to those horrendous monkeys in Bali on that trip that you went on after your breakup before anyone told you that those monkeys were no good. Those monkeys are no good. Now, aside from staying away from the monkeys in Bali, this is Clarissa's first piece of advice. Compromise, absolutely. And that's not just you, that's everyone. No one will ever get 100% of absolutely everything they want or they probably wouldn't be going through a divorce. Like, you would have solved that problem in terms of the relationship. So there will always be compromise. It's a whole different mindset and that's really hard for all of us as parents to get our heads around. And the same with finances. You know, you've got a bundle of resources that worked for a family when they were living in one home and the minute you're trying to divide those between two homes, that will obviously cost more and cause difficulties. So compromise will have to play in everywhere. And I think if you can come back to saying, well, what are the things that absolutely are essential and really matter to me and put them at the top of your, you know, priority list, when you're compromising, they're obviously the ones that you don't want to be compromising on. But there'll be other things where you can go, look, that would be nice, but it's less important to me. And that's where you're trying to compromise. What are your (laughs) tips for doing divorce well? The first thing I say whenever I'm asked this question is slow down. And I say that because divorce at the end of the day is heartbreak. And so when any of us are going through heartbreak, our emotions are heightened um, and we're experiencing grief. And it's said that the grief that we experience upon the end of a really significant relationship is on par with losing a loved one. And the result of grief at the end of the day is it impairs our brain function. We can't make good decisions. Like everything's difficult. And so I would say slow down because I think a lot of the things I see where people get it wrong, if that's the right way of putting it, is they're making rash decisions, they're active, imp- acting impulsively and often from a place of hurt and therefore 
the actions are not always in their best interests either. Often when your relationship's ended, there's almost nothing you need to do in the first few days other than wallow with a pillow and just feel revolting. (laughs) And I often see, you know, the minute people have, for example, engaged with lawyers and perhaps literally engaged the lawyer within two days of a separation, it rarely ends well. Best case scenario divorces, how do they pay off in the short term? They pay off (laughs) dollar-wise, like cut straight to the chase. Yeah. You know, if you're obviously amicable, trying to solve problems yourselves, not engaging with particularly legal advisors, it's no secret working with lawyers is not a cheap experience by any stretch. So from just a straight upfront cash perspective, it's going to cost less. But in terms of the financial cost, let's now talk the emotional cost. You know, the impact of some of the emails that I receive in my office from other lawyers I have like a visceral reaction to them and they're not even directed at me. And I think of the impact when I have to send that out to my client and I would usually try and ring my client beforehand and say, look, this thing's come in and it's really horrible. Please just know that we'll deal with it. But it's still, you're going to have a horrible reaction to that because all I can really do is that is, you know, prime their mind for the fact that this thing is horrible rather than just blind forwarding it to them and then saying, oh, have a nice weekend and get in touch with me on Monday after you've read that horrible thing. So there's just that. And then if you've got kids and you're receiving these pieces of communication or if we go into a litigious divorce, you've read affidavits about yourself, you might have read reports about yourself. It's very hard to come back from that as a parent and have respect for the other person when you've been through that adversarial process, which is all around scaffolding the best case. And to scaffold my best case, I need to create evidence that says, in essence, I'm a better person than you for these, you know, 50 reasons. It's very, very hard to reverse that down the track. So as a lawyer, you're saying avoid lawyers. I am really, aren't I? No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm saying get education and advice, but choose how you engage with lawyers. Don't let lawyers take over your life and tell you how you work with them. Clarissa, I don't know if you can answer this, but I'm curious if you can give us a rough range of the legal costs involved in getting divorced. Let's go extreme end. Litigation, Mm. you're in court, you're having disagreements around your financial arrangements and your parenting arrangements. The court process at the moment in Australia is probably going to take more than two years beginning to end. And the legal cost to each person would be, I would suggest, a minimum of $100,000 each. Gross. It's outrageous. It's a small house. Like, it's it's an insane amount of money. Taper that right back. Collaborative practice, mediation, you know, checking in and using lawyers as advisors or coaches. Your fees can come right down to between five, ten thousand dollars $10,000. And I guess it depends at the end of the day on the level of service that you're after and the level of advice that you're after. One of my friend's mother's actually told me that she tells her daughter and daughter's adult friends to make sure you've got running away money. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which at the time I was like, wow, so cynical. But then when I needed to run away, I was like, damn, I wish I had some running away money. (laughs) So, and and I think what she meant was a secret little nest egg so that you could afford to get um, the electricity connected put a down payment on on a rental property and, you know, buy a new fridge or whatever, like the things that you need to do if you've got to leave in a hurry. If you're in that position, how can you shore up your running away money? How can you be as prepared as you can be? 
This is, again, not encouraging people to be deceptive and secretive by any stretch, but, yeah, having financial independence is so important in so many ways. You know, I'm a mother of two young daughters. That's the one thing I'll be saying to them as they get older. Like, financial independence is essential. Financial knowledge is essential. I still meet so many people that have no understanding of the finances in their own life, and that is a real challenge when you're then going through a divorce and separation because you feel completely in no man's land. What do all good divorces have in common? A value set is what I've brought it back to. So it's a value set amongst people that cuts through race, it cuts through age, it cuts through everything. And that value set, put simply, is they really value relationships. And they really particularly, often there's children involved, value the relationships with their children above all else. And from that comes a mindset that family is really important. And even though this relationship's ended, that is still my family, albeit a different family. And it's that sort of value set I see that drives the person, even though they'll be angry and frustrated and all of the emotions that we've spoken about, but it's that that they come back to. And then when they're making their decisions around, okay, if I take this step or if I do this thing, what does that mean for my kids, for my family? The people that I see do this well, they don't want the other person to suffer. They may for a moment, but they move past that. And they don't want the worst for the other person. And again, if we come back to kids, there's usually a common understanding that you're their parent as well. And if you're not doing as well as you can be, that will impact my children. And so we need both parents being the best parents they can be to have kids that are being the best kids they can be. Okay, what I've learned in this legal chapter of how we can make breakups as good as possible, one, any legal separation will involve compromise. Two, slow down. Give yourself space to feel sad and lousy, but don't feel like you need to lawyer up straight away. Three, because we're all modern feminists, having financial independence is as important as knowing how to breathe. Don't kick yourself if you haven't been financially fluent so far. It's a skill you can learn that is utterly crucial for empowering yourself. Four, if you can avoid litigation and work out the breakup without a lawyer, give it a crack. You may be able to sort stuff out yourselves. I think fundamentally I'd always wanted a relationship with him afterwards. This is Stacey. She's 36. Stacey was 18 when she got together with her now ex-husband. They'd been together 11 years before she realised they were actually quite different people. And as it often goes, by the end of their relationship, she felt like they were more like best friends than lovers. They did try counselling for a couple of months until Stacey finally made the call to break up. It was quite a, a hot day and, um, yeah, just sort of thought, well, we'll take the kids out where it's a little bit cooler. And we sort of had breakfast, gone to the park and had a play. And I guess we both sort of just acknowledged to each other that, you know, we needed to sit them down. So on the playground, yeah, we just told the kids that we needed to tell them something. You know, we explained to them that sometimes in life people fall in and out of love. And we decided we'd be better off as friends than we were as husband and wife. But it didn't mean that things would change for the kids as such, that we still loved them, that we still supported them and, and wanted them to be happy, but we knew how hard this potentially could be for them. Stacey's three kids all took it differently. One was sad, the other really angry, while her youngest made cute jokes about getting two Christmases. 
After that conversation, Stacey and her ex tried a situation where she lived in the family house 50% of the time while her husband was away for work. But after a couple of months, Stacey decided to move out. Yeah, so after moving out, we decided that we needed to sit down, obviously, and work out finances. And we wanted to do it amicably so that, you know, it didn't cause too much drama between both of us. We obviously both, you know, wanted certain things, but we didn't want to fight about it. And so we went through the process of doing it ourselves. We both did obviously get legal advice just to make sure that we were covering our own um, stuff, I suppose, that we needed. Yeah, and I guess we went through the finances. We both came out fairly even in the decision and doing it ourselves obviously cost a lot less as well. So we didn't have to go to the courts and fight about it, which is what we wanted to do. We didn't want to drag the kids through any of any of our stuff as well that we were dealing with. So after getting legal advice, we both decided that we would just come together. We both sat down um, and worked through what we had. We decided that we'd do it on our own and just obviously Googled yeah, financial settlements, which is what the legal advice suggested so that it didn't cost so much. So rather than going to the courts and spending thousands and thousands of dollars, it only cost around roughly around $2,000 for the financial settlement to be done. Yeah, so it was much better to do that. And then with the divorce itself, we also just decided to go through Google and just did the divorce application kit and um, got that verified and signed as well. I think fundamentally I'd always wanted a relationship with him afterwards as a friend because, you know, he's he's the father of my children. And I guess also, like, I'd also seen, you know, different couples go through that sort of thing and I didn't want to have to drag the children through any of our stuff when they didn't need to be. You know, we both have a lot of respect for each other. Um, it was not like it, we were nasty people to each other. It was just one of those circumstances where we were both just completely different people in what we wanted in life. So I guess the main thing, um, you know, yes, we did go through our ups and downs with each other. There was resent, there was hurt and, and guilt and all sorts of feelings that come with divorce. But long term, we wanted that ability just to be able to sit in the room together and, you know, enjoy our kids' achievements together, whether that be going to their wedding and graduations and, and not feeling uncomfortable with that. Things are really good now, so we're able to sit down and have a conversation about things. For example, he came over the other day. Um, there's been a few issues surrounding my daughter that he was concerned with, and we can sit down and, and have a really good chat about those things. And then we can also chat about things in general, how work's going, I suppose about how our, our new relationships are going and how all of that sort of stuff affects the kids as well. So our primary thing that we, I suppose we talk about is the kids, but being able to talk about other things in general is really healthy as well, I think. A divorce for $2,000? Wow. It sounds like the divorce equivalent of those cardboard coffins you can get if you want to die on the cheap. Google DIY Divorce Kit. You'll be able to find the Divorce Service Kit from the Family Court website. Just make sure you're looking at the familycourt.gov website. And look, it's not sexy, but it is factual and that is definitely helpful. I do want to point out that a good divorce or a good breakup 
isn't always your choice or something you can control. Like, clearly, when you listen to Stacey's story, not only do you get the sense that she is a cool cat, but her ex is all right too, and that might not be your situation. And when I went through it myself, it sucked, and it cost heaps more than I expected. But in the end, I got a second chance at being happy, and that, my friends, is what it's all about. And hey, if you want to get more into the nitty gritty on divorce and money, like did you know that you and your partner's debts as well as your assets can be split? The ABC podcast, The Money, has a whole episode on divorce. It's good. Check it out. You can find Ladies We Need to Talk on a podcast app or on the ABC Listen app. Ladies is mixed by Anne-Marie de Betancourt. It's produced by Jane Curtis. Supervising producer is Cassandra Steve, and our executive producer is Justine Kelly. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. The manager of audio studios is Kelly Reardon. And hey, if you want to get on top of your finances and improve your financial literacy, which in my opinion is a profoundly feminist act, the ABC has done a whole podcast on money. It's called The Pineapple Project. And if you head back to season one of the podcast, you can learn all about how to take stock of your finances and take ownership of what's yours and what's yours inside of your bank account. You can download it from the ABC Listen app or from wherever you get your podcast. Podcasts.